what's wonderful about this morning is I get to talk about Daddy. I get to talk about Daddy God today. And I love talking about Father God. I just love it. So, but I'm really going to need his help because I am just so full of what he's saying that I want to make sure that I'm able to express it to, to you all kind of so that you understand his heart. All right? So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to get to know your heart better. That you are willing to express your heart in such a way through song, through words, through fellowship, so that we get to understand your heart and become more intimate and more close to you. And we just fall in love with you over and over again. So I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for every heart that's here this morning. I pray that you would empty me of me. That you would completely empty me. So that you might fill me with yourself, with your presence, with your spirit. And therefore, express your heart to all of us. So that we can hear you clearly. So that we can come so close to you that we hear your heartbeat. And that we, we feel, we know, and we understand who you are to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Like I said, I love talking about Father God. And I, and I think Christmas is a perfect time to talk about him. You probably heard this expression. It's an old expression. Don't look at a gift horse in the mouth. Have you ever heard that expression? Do you know what it means? What does it mean? Actually, if you looked in the mouth, you would have seen the enemy coming. It means that. That's not where I was going, but that's good. (laughs) That's good. That's good. That's not where I was going. Because you need to be grateful. Grateful. That's exactly, basically, what it means. It means kind of what Christine said and what you said. Back in the 16th century, you know, if you bought a horse, of course you would examine it. You would open its mouth and look at its teeth to see the health of the horse, even the age of the horse. That's how you would tell. But if you were given a horse, it was considered extremely impolite to open the horse's mouth and look at it. It was saying that you were ungrateful. So the statement, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, was well, talking about being grateful. It was, and there was an attitude that you would, that, you know, if someone gave you a gift, you would not examine it so closely as to insult the person that was given it. Or to seem ungrateful for the free gift. Keep that in mind as we, we start to talk about really what the word gift means. I'm going to come, from, come at it from various different angles. And the first one I want to come is from the, the dictionary, which we get a lot of our definitions from. And here's what it means in the dictionary. A gift is something given voluntarily without payment in return is expected as to show someone favor or to honor an occasion or make a gesture of assistance. It basically means a present. The old English meaning I found very interesting. It means a bride price. A gift for marriage. The Greek word, which we, we've talked about when we were talking about the fivefold ministry, and we'll get back to it after the, the holiday season, the word charismata, or charisma, means gift. And it means a, a free gift, a, a gift of grace, a divine gift. 
a divine gift. It is not just an ordinary gift. It is a divine gift. It is a gift given by God. So if you can keep the thought about it, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, and these kind of definitions of gifts, if you can keep that in the running around your brain cells as we go into this, because this is not so much a sermon today as it is an exhortation today. And remember, the word exhort means to draw near. So keep that in mind as we go through today, because I think one of the most wonderful gifts that is given at Christmas time, was given at Christmas time, that all the gifts that you think about when Christ was born, the most, to me, the most powerful gift, the most extraordinary gift, the most life-giving gift that comes out of resort, uh, a result of Jesus being born was the gift that Jesus opened for all of us. And that gift was to know the Father. Think about it. In the Father, there is redemption. In the Father, there is forgiveness. In the Father, there is restoration on so many different levels. Jesus opened this gift by the way he lived out his life on this planet. Everything that Jesus did from the very first time that it was, you know, when he left his parents and was found in the temple, what did he say? I was about my father's business. I was doing what the father wanted me to do. Everything about his life pointed to his father. And not just pointed to the father, but pointed to a way that we could have an intimate relationship with the father. It's beautiful what Jesus opened up for us. It's, it is so amazing when we start to really understand how we need to look at Father God. Because here's the most important thing about this. Because the way that you see Father God, the way you see God in general, is the way that you filter everything else in your life. Everything. Your marriage. Your relationship with your kids. Your neighbors. The people you work with. Everything is seen through that lens how you see Father God. That's why Jesus, it was so important to Jesus to show us the way to have a relationship with the Father. That close, abiding interchange of love was so important to Jesus, he did it every moment of his life here. And it's a wonderful gift that he opened up for us. Jesus was the first Jewish rabbi to call God Prior to this, rabbis did not call God Father in the way that Jesus did. Jesus used a term to call his Father something. He used the term Abba Father. It's an Aramaic word. You've heard it. And it basically, at its very basic core of it, what it means, it means dear Father. Dear Father. So that there's still respect in the addressing of the Father figure, but there's an endearment there. There's a closeness implied there. There's an intimacy implied there. There is a, I want to be next to this person idea. And Jesus used it frequently. Now, it's only recorded in the Bible three times that he used the word Abba. But since Jesus spoke in Aramaic, and that's an Aramaic word, I and most scholars believe that that was his everyday language. So when Jesus talked about the Father, and we know he talked about the Father all the time, 
not just what was recorded in Scripture. He always used, or more likely, he always used, Abba Father when he was talking about God. That's amazing to me. That's amazing to me that, that Jesus was just, you know, he was just living this thing out saying, you know what, this is the way I relate to Father God, and this is the way that you can too. To the Jewish mindset, that blew their minds. This is what, part of what got them angry about Jesus, that he showed what in their mind was total disregard for this hierarchy. And God said, uh, Jesus was saying, no, God says God is uh, with you now. Emmanuel. He's here. He's not up here. He's here now. You can have this rich, abiding relationship with God, with your Father. It doesn't have to be this here. It could be here. And it just blew the Jewish mindset. It was foreign to them to be able to address God as Father, as dear Father. And I think for today, it is kind of foreign for a lot of people today, too, still. You know, because whether we like it or not, fathers have the greatest impact on people's lives. We just do. We have such a power effect on our children. The words that come out of our mouth, the actions that we do, impact our children for generations. The Bible, the scriptures say that. But you can see it lived out in one generation in your own family life if you're really watching if you have a good heavenly father, this is really not too much of a problem. If you had a situation where I was born into, the abusive home situation, it gets to be a problem. And for years, my mindset of, about God was a little skewed because of where I was living, because of the abusive home that I lived in. So the way I viewed Father God was a little skewed until God started to correct my heart. And he used this wonderful verse. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit... You know, all those who are younger than me, and I'm talking about really younger than me, you have the same Holy Spirit living inside of you that I do. So though your, your mind and your intellect and maybe your maturity level and all those kinds of things might be... Well, yeah, I'm sure your maturity level is different than mine, believe me. <laughs> and it's a good thing that it is. But you have the same Holy Spirit. So as an eight-year-old, I read this scripture, and it really became one of my life scriptures at eight years old. I am still living. I have become a Christian. I am still living in an abusive home. I will continue to live in an abusive home for about ten more years. Okay. This scripture. Remember we talked about hope? What hope was? Hope was a what? A strong cord. Right? A strong cord that, that bound us to our past and, and to the promises of the future and kept us secure now. This became a strong cord for me. This is the scripture, uh, Psalm 2710. Oh, I love this scripture. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. The Lord will take me up. Now, an eight-year-old reading that scripture doesn't fully understand what that scripture means intellectually. But experientially, I knew this scripture. You know what that word takes me up to, uh, means? It's beautiful. It means to gather an individual and bring them into a company of others. 
to gather an individual person and to gather them, and not just gather them, but take them someplace where they're in a family. A family. That was a huge scripture for me. How, how God made this real to me is this wonderful story. Most of you who know my story, I'll give you a quick syn- uh, synopsis. I uh, moved next door to a godly family, the family uh, named the Temples, and they brought me to church. That's how I met Jesus. And if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't be walking here today. Okay, so that's the short story. One of the most powerful moments in my life as a young boy uh, happened when Mr. Temple heard this uh, uh, happening at my house. Uh, my father uh, was a brutal, mean, harsh man. And one of the ways he would punish me, since he knew that I liked going to church now, he would not allow me to go to church on certain days. And, and I, I, couldn't, I wouldn't find out until that morning when I could go to that church. I would ask, Dad, can I go to church? He would say yes or no. Most of the times, and he was in this period of saying no every Sunday. It was a, a time he was just trying to keep me in. As a matter of fact, I couldn't even leave the house except to go to school. It was just a, a brutal period. Of, it was all brutal, but that period was pretty brutal. This was the uh, mind games that he would play on me. Mr. Temple heard about this. Lived right next door. My father is, uh, was 6'2", six, six two, 230 pounds, mean, spiteful, would curse you out, would not be opposed to swinging at you if, if he felt like it was necessary. Mr. Temple was, he was also about six foot, but he had a very gentle soul. Kind man. One of the kindest people I've ever met in my life. He walked across our yard, knocked on our door, came in the door, didn't even say hi to my father, said, Jay is coming to church today. Now, think about this picture of my father being... My father never left his seat. Never said a word. My father was not afraid of anybody. He would never back down from a from a, something that would make him look small. Yet that day, <laughs> my father took me up. He took an individual and he sent me in a family. See, that day, that scripture became real to me because Mr. Temple entered a house that was very dangerous, said to a man who was very dangerous and said, no, you are not blocking your son from coming with us to go to church. It was a beautiful moment where I saw a picture of Father God that cemented that scripture in my heart forever. Yeah, there are still many years of abuse to walk through, but I always came back to that scripture. That is my life scripture. My mother and father forsake me, but God took me up. God is an awesome Abba Father, dear Father. Like I said, Abba is only used three times in scripture. One of them was in the garden when Jesus is praying. In anguish, calls out to Abba, Father, dear Father. The other time he's used in Romans 8.15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But no, you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, dear Father. And in Galatians 4, 6, it says this, because you are sons, and that is a Greek word that means all genders, okay? 
God has set forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So even if we have a picture of, of, of a Heavenly Father that has tainted our view of Father God, the Spirit of God now lives inside of us, crying out, Abba, Father. See, that's how much God wants to have that kind of relationship with us. He's willing to put His Spirit inside of us to bring forth that cry. That, that, that just desire to know him more and more and more. See, Jesus opened the way to the Father, the right to call God our Father, our dear Father. Psalm 68.6 says this, and it echoes the one I just read. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free, and he gives them Joy. But he makes the rebellious live in the sun-scorched land. I tend to think of that looking at the gift horse in the mouth kind of thing when I read this scripture. A spirit of ungratefulness is really rebellion. Rebellion about the goodness of God. Ephesians 1.5 says this, His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And you know what? It gave him great pleasure. Oh, Lord, thank you so much. God wants to bring us back into his family to restore the lost fortunes of our souls, to redeem us from the sin that separated us from being close with him. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. First John 3 says this, See what love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and it, yet, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes purifies himself as he is pure. Wow. Listen to that. And everyone who thus hopes purifies himself as he is pure. Wow. I believe that hope is for today. The hope of, of seeing God who he is fully Someday we will see him face to face. It'll be amazing. All the doubts, all the questions, all the fears, all the sorrows, all the pain, every negative thing that you can think about that you experience on this planet Earth will be gone. And not just gone, Jimmy, right? Not just gone, but like it never happened. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. Someday that's going to happen. Someday we get to see him face to face. Oh, man, that would be great. But you know what? The spirit of the living God lives inside of us right now and cries out what? Our Father. Our Father. We can experience God as Father right here, right now, today, and every day that we walk the face of this planet. That's the wonderful thing. It's a future hope, but it's also a present hope. Future hope, a present hope. A strong cord that unites us with our past and our future. Oh, man. I'm going to get excited here in a minute. Sorry. 
All right, so God is in the, what I call the family business. Talk about bringing us into a family. The family certainly has many traits. I don't want to talk about three of them today. About three family traits that we get to, that we share as a family. A family shares a likeness. Family shares a likeness. Most of the time, you could tell who belongs to who in a family. You know, they look kind of alike, they act kind of alike. You know, all the cookie hams are wackos. I mean, you know, it's pretty much, you know, that's how we are. You know, it's a good wacky, but, you know, we are wacky. There's a likeness to us. A generous, oh, generous. That is generous, but it's Genesis is really what I wanted to say. The Bible is very generous. But it's Genesis that I'm trying to pronounce. Okay, Genesis 5.1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. The word likeness means to resemble, to model and shape after, using the hands. Okay? To model something and shape something, using the hands. Okay? We were made to resemble our Heavenly Father, to be just like Him. We're made in His image. We've been renewed, we've been restored, we've been redeemed, we've been remade. We resemble the Father. We resemble the Father. Keep in mind that model and shape thing. Okay, it's going to it's going to come back. A family shares a heritage. In Romans eight, we read this: the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ provided that we suffer with him in order that we might be also glorified with him. We, uh, we share what God has promised. We all inherit together. As his sons and daughters, we come into the riches of who he is and who he, what he means to us. Now, in this regard, I think we're all blood relatives. We've been washed in the blood. We've been redeemed by the blood. And we are unified by the blood. We're all blood relatives. Probably even closer than our own blood. That's the power and uniqueness of what Jesus Christ has done, what God has done through Jesus Christ in sending him to us as the way to open relationship with the Father. Okay, a, father, a family shares a name. I love this part. Isaiah 43.1 says this, but now, so says, uh, but now so says Jehovah who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. That word called out basically does mean called out, but it means a proclamation. It means a proclamation but a proclamation that says, see these people over here? They are, they are mine. They're, they're mine. Uh, this, is, this is Bob. He's, he's mine. You know, this is mine. This is Jimmy. He's mine. This is a proud statement. This is a proud proclamation. This is done with great pride. That This, this is the t- intention of that word. It says, it's not just going, hey, come here. I'm, you know, whatever your name is. 
No, it's like, Jimmy, come here. Come home. This is a, this is a, proud, this is a picture of a proud father calling his children. That's what that word means. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. The father uses this name calling to make a declaration and a, a personal identification with him. I'm so excited I can't pronounce words today. Please forgive me. Just pretend I'm speaking in tongues. It'll work, okay? All right. Revelation 2.17. This is where it gets really interesting. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Pretty interesting scripture. The Greek word for white stone basically means a stone that has been made smooth by handling. Remember that scripture in Genesis? Molded, shaped by the hands. This is a white stone made smooth, something that was rough, something that was coarse, something that was uneven, something that needed to be made smooth. Think about the Father forming us. He is the potter. We are the clay. But one of the things about a white stone in the, in the Greek thinking was when someone was uh, being accused of something and they went before the leaders to be judged, a trial, there was two ways to, to render a, a verdict. If the person was guilty, everyone threw in a black rock. If they thought the person was innocent, there was a white stone. They threw a white stone, something that they carried with them, something that was made smooth. That's, we have been given something. Our names have been engraved on stone. By Father God. He knows who we are. He, he, he has personally touched us. He has, he's, God's got his hands all over us. Shaping us. Molding us. You know what? That stone is white. Because of the blood of Jesus. It is not a black stone. It will never be a black stone. It is a white stone. Because we've been forgiven by Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. It is a white stone that your name is on. Someday, in glory, we find out what that name actually is, but right now, that stone is in God's hands. And it's being made smoother and smoother and smoother and more into the likeness of his son, which is what he wants us to be. And so that we actually look like the father, because that's what Jesus looked like. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. If you've seen me, you have seen the father. You've seen the way the father acts, how the father loves, how the father redeems. You've seen me do all these things. You've seen how the Father heals, how the Father forgives, and how the Father desires to have a close relationship with each and every one 
of his children. That makes me excited. Whenever he calls us, however he names us, it's a call to freedom. There is approval when Father calls our name, not shame. There is loving correction when he calls our name, but there is never condemnation. When the Father calls our names, there is acceptance and there is never rejection. That's the most wonderful picture of a, of a father that I can imagine. You know, just calling our, our names with acceptance, calling our names with forgiveness, calling our names with, yes, sometimes correction, but it's always with love. The calling is always with love. Oh, thank you, Father. In First Chronicles 17, 16, David is about to pray this terrific prayer, but he starts the prayer with a question. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me so far? It's a wonderful question. It's a question I identify with. I, I think about where I am today. I have a wonderful wife. I have awesome kids. I am surrounded by much love with friends and family. I, I, I'm a man most blessed. I am just like George Bailey. You know, a man is rich. <laughs> Yeah, that has friends. I am so like that. That story, I love that story. Can't help but cry in that, in that movie. Because it's my story. You know, just a, I think we have George Bailey moments all, all around us where we begin to, to be grateful for the gift that's been given to us. Because like I said before, how you see our Father, dear Father, is going to affect everything that you see in your life. So, Father God wants us to take things, take the blinders off, take things that that scar our vision, to correct our lenses, to be able to see Him in such a way that He is everything that His Word says that He is. Everything that Jesus lived out and fleshed out for us in the Scriptures is exactly who God is. You know, sometimes people have this picture of that God is bad cop and Jesus is good cop. But that's not the way Jesus lived. That's not what Jesus did. Everything Jesus did pointed to his dad. Dear Father, Abba Father. And he says that we, could, we should cry out this way. We should cry out. Oh, man, we should. <laughs> okay. Did you ever get, you know, like you're in a party or something, and people ask you a question, so tell me about your family. You know, what was your father like? Did you ever get asked that question? I seem to get asked that question a lot. I'm not sure why. I think it's a God setting people up. Okay. <laughs> so I, I often answer this. I go, which one? Now, that leaves the door wide open to a lot of questions, obviously. And it depends on how brave people are. It depends how far this conversation goes. So I tell them, I said, well, simply my earthly father and heavenly father were quite different. And they're already confused. I said, you know, my dad, he, he was, you can, you can describe him in one word. He was a, a destroyer. That's what he was. But my heavenly father, he's a restorer. He's a restorer. So which dad do you want to talk about? That's right. That's the one we really want to talk about. See, now, 
I can, again, I can look back at my past with no shame, no pain, no hurt. Because what the restorer did, what my heavenly father did. See, he took me up. He took an individual and he put him in a gathering of people, a family. And in the truth, that's what he's done for all of us. Even if we were raised in good homes, loving parents, you know, parents that did their very best to, to, to show what God really looks like. And, you know, it's hard for a dad to, to sometimes, because he, he's, he's so wonderful, and try to say, you know, anything that I've done wrong, please don't hold that against the Father, because he's, he's, he's perfect. And his love is undeniable. His love is unconditional. I can love my children the best that I can, and it's still not as adequate as, as what the Father God can do. But we need to talk God up. We need to talk God the Father up. My Heavenly Father was a restorer. The prodigal son story, or the prodigal son story, is a beautiful story. It's a story that I identify with also. And here's the most beautiful part about it. You know, when you talk about God's restoration, you know, this is what he does for all of us. He comes and he says, you know what, uh, you need to put a ring on that, my son. You need to put a ring on him because that's, that's, that's a ring of authority that shows him that he's been restored to the family's authority. He now speaks, he can speak for the family again. Oh, uh, you need to get the best robe. Oh, best robe happens to be the dad's robe. It's a robe that he would wear when he was in important meetings to signify his place and status in the, in the community. He says, okay, take that robe and put it on him because he's been restored to the community now. Okay. Oh, look at his feet. He's walking barefoot. Uh, slaves walk barefoot, not sons. Put shoes on him. Put shoes on him so he can walk as a son. That his next steps are, are the steps of a son. He's no longer walking like a slave. No, 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 no. He's my son. He's going to walk like one. So he puts a ring on, a robe on, and shoes on. And he says, you know what? We're not done yet. We're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate. My son is home. My son's been restored. My son's been redeemed. I believe every time we come to the Father... That's exactly what happens. God's in a constant state of restoring us to, to son and daughtership. Constantly. Because of why? Because we leak. Because we stumble. Because we sin. Because we get skewed visions of who he is. So we, we do this kind of approach to God, kind of a thing, you know, I don't want to get too close because maybe his discipline will be too harsh this time. It's, it, is, it is the wrong thinking about God. And if so if I can encourage you with anything today, if I can hopefully express anything to you that your, your father loves you. He is in, he's so hungry for you to come into his presence. He so desires it. He's shown that because, you know what, he says, you know, these people are so distant from me, I'm going to send my son to bring them back. But that heart is still the same. That heart has not changed. That heart is still the same. He wants to bring us all back into him time and time and time again. To we are so close that, we, you know, we're like right here and we say, oh, yeah, now I can see who I am. Because I see you. 
And that's how I can really see who I am in you when I really see you like you are. That's the most wonderful thing. We really get to know who we are the more we know who Father is. Amen? Father, thank you for your promise of of being, <laughs> being your children. Oh, we desperately need to understand that in, in brand new ways. Thank you, Abba Father. Thank you, dear Father, for expressing your desire for us to know you as sons and daughters. That we can boldly approach the throne of grace as sons and daughters. Fully expecting that Daddy is going to listen to us. Daddy is going to answer our prayers in a way that is best for us. Father, we trust you because you sent your son. Because your word promises so many things. Just because you have already proved yourself time and time again in our lives. But we need to trust you more. So like the disciples, we say, Lord, increase our faith. We are desperate for you. We are people needing their Father. So we ask that. We say, Father, please come and reveal yourself more to us. And help us to see you correctly. To see you clearly. And to have you in focus at all moments. So that we can love like you so that we can live like you, that we can forgive like you. And everything that we do and say, bring glory to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.